Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, this evening is our first Sunday in the season of Lent, which is a time of preparation for Holy Week, when we will journey with Christ to the cross and into his resurrection. In our New Testament lesson, St. Peter has been addressing the dispersed churches throughout the Roman Empire who are being persecuted and ostracized for their faith in Christ, and he's enjoining them to maintain virtuous lives and to continue in their hope in Christ and in his kingship. The portion of Peter's letter that we just had read for us is notoriously difficult to interpret. What does it mean that Jesus went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison? What does it mean that baptism now saves us in a corresponding way to Noah's family being saved by the ark? These are important questions, and over time the church has given a few different answers to them. Indeed, two of the main creeds of the church, both the Apostles' Creed and the Athanasian Creed, include the line that Christ descended to the dead, or in more archaic versions that he descended into hell or Hades or in the original Latin into inferno. What's unclear is whether Christ went to Sheol, right, the, the Hebrew understanding of the grave, this, this place where the souls of the dead were held, right, awaiting the final judgment, the final resurrection. It's unclear whether he went there to preach the good news to these souls of the dead and offer them a chance to repent or whether he was present in the spirit in the preaching of Noah at the time, or if he went to the nether regions to declare his victory over the demonic spirits that have held humanity captive. These are the sort of three main ways that the church has understood what Peter is talking about. Either he's going and preaching to the dead, or he was there preaching in Noah, or he actually went to the demons to tell them that he's won. I think either way you slice it, it's clear that Christ, in enduring the sufferings of the cross, has been declared king over all that exists, whether they be principalities and powers, angels, authorities, the spirits, spiritual forces of evil, it does not matter. Christ has utterly defeated all that is connected to Satan and his kingdom of lies and sin and death. The battle has been won. So complete is his victory that prior to his death, he tells Peter that he will establish his church 
and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Remember, gates aren't offensive weapons. They are the last line of defense against an assaulting army. Jesus is saying, I'm going to even break down the gates of hell. Whatever is happening that Peter is describing in his epistle here, in the place beyond the grave where the souls of the dead are, what is clear is that the gates of Hades have indeed not prevailed, but have been ripped open by Christ's victory against all spiritual forces that have set themselves up against God and his anointed. As the church will sing in a few weeks, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and upon those in the tombs, bestowing life. Christ seems to be humiliated on the cross, but he enters death in glory. He enters into the grave in glory, destroying death itself. If you were with us on Ash Wednesday, you'll know that Lent is a time for us to reckon with our mortality, our finitude, to realize that we are not going to live forever. It's also a time for us to attain perhaps a deeper awareness of our guilt. And I think laced within both of those things is a recognition of our helplessness against death, not as a natural outcome for creatures, but as the prison into which our enemy, the devil, has locked us. We can't get out of that tomb on our own. As St. Athanasius said, I quoted him a few weeks ago, with death holding greater sway and corruption remaining fast against human beings, the race of humans was perishing and the work made by God was being obliterated. In turning our souls over to the devil and allowing him to attain authority in our lives, we have been locked into a prison of sin and death that we cannot get out of. But as Peter tells us, the power of Christ's sacrifice was such that it didn't need to be offered again and again. Rather, it was offered once for all because it was offered as the righteous for the unrighteous. And in its offering, all the powers of evil were defeated completely. Satan no longer has power. Death has lost its sting. This is incredible news. This is the news of the resurrection. It's the news of Christ's lordship over all things. But it's also news that gives us a bit of a pinch. Jesus has been given authority over all things, as St. Peter tells us. Or in the words of St. Paul, Christ has been seated in heaven far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And the Father has put all things under his feet and given him as head over all things to the church. That's pretty all-encompassing, right? Christ's authority is over all things. And if this is true, then we have to ask ourselves the question, does Jesus have authority in our life? Or have we given that position to someone or something else? 
I have to say that we in the late modern West have been largely struck blind to the spiritual forces and powers and principalities at work in the world. And while I'm not advocating for a preoccupation or fascination with the demonic or things of that nature, we have to recognize that if we are blind to their existence, we are also blind to the ways in which they empower and have authority over our lives, the ways in which they imprison us. Now, there are probably a few different groups present here today. So I want to try to be very clear in what I'm about to say so as not to lay unnecessary burdens upon any of you. In recognizing that there are spiritual realities, we are recognizing that there are various authorities, right? Some of which have been ordained by God, like government and church and family, and some of which are in opposition to him. And if you've been alive for more than five minutes, you realize that even those that have been ordained by God contravene his purposes all the time and do not actually represent him well, right? And some of you have been horribly abused by those who either wrongly assumed authority or who, or who misused their authority in your life. As faith and family life disintegrate in the West, the state is becoming the focal point for much of this misused authority. And we would do well to recognize how the structures of our society have been built at the expense of those deemed replaceable or unworthy of attention. Look around. We live in a city that has been torn apart by an insidious racism that most of us don't even feel. As one example, when Oregon became a state, the Constitutional Convention voted not to allow slavery because they wouldn't allow any African Americans to even live in the state. They couldn't move here, they couldn't do business here, they couldn't own property here or make contracts to do business. That is an example of the state misusing authority in a way that most of us don't, frankly, really feel. But there are people in this city who still do. Some of you sitting here have been wronged by the church, perhaps because of ego or struggle for power among the leaders or the deeds of predators being covered up and overlooked in the name of forgiveness. Or perhaps just through the subtlety of false teaching that you've come to believe that you're worthless, that God doesn't really like you, that you have to try harder or just be someone different for him to want you around. Or perhaps it was in your family. A parent is often the clearest expression of God in a child's life. Whether or not it's an accurate expression, parents leave an indelible mark in this way. In fact, this is why in the Decalogue that we just read, Children are enjoined to honor their mother and their father. That's, that's, that's sort of a two-way street there. It's because parents represent the divine to their children. You better be representing him well. And some of you had or have parents who are absent and distant and unavailable. Some of you can still hear the voice of your mother or father speaking to you in anger, telling you that you're worthless or unlovable. 
And so, to those of you that have been wronged by institutional sin, or the sin of those in the church, or in your own family, I say to you with all gentleness, what happened to you was wrong, wrong, wrong. And depending on the severity of it, you may not actually find closure or full healing in this life. But this very Jesus, whose glory blindingly illuminated the darkest corners of hell, the Jesus who has been given a name above every name and has had all things put in subjection under his feet, this Jesus stood silently before his executioners like a lamb before its shears, and he entered into suffering unspeakable because his love for you just won't quit. You know the scene in the movies where the gangster with the heart of, the heart of gold is with the girl and everyone's after him and they're planning on their one meetup after the one last heist and he says, they're going to have to kill me to keep me away from you. Jesus is saying, even that won't work. I will blow past death to have you, to love you, to keep you with me. He loves you with an everlasting love, inviting you every week to feast with him at this table in anticipation of the wedding feast to come. So if this is your story, be patient with yourself. I know that it's difficult to trust that this message is true, and that's okay. Jesus isn't actually frustrated that you're having a hard time believing. He just loves you. That's it. At some level, all of us have no doubt been wronged by imperfect people, imperfect churches, imperfect institutions. But there is another group here this evening. Because some of you have been blinded to the principalities and powers that have captured your desire, your attention, your love. And your desire for money or popularity or success or sex or security or whatever it is, you have allowed the authority of Christ in your life to disappear into the background. And this is what Peter has in view in the verse that immediately follows where our reading ended when he says, Since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions but for the will of God. Some of you have perhaps been caught up in the opposite way of life as the writer of Hebrews describes Moses who chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. Have you considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth? I mean, ask yourself, how much money do you need to be satisfied? The answer is always the same, just a little bit more. 
And you could fill in sex or food or success or security with that same question. So who would you rather have approval from? Your Instagram followers or the creator God in whom we live and move and have our being? So if you're part of this second group, as we enter Lent, if you have found yourself being ensnared by sin, lured by the fool's gold of the world, hear the words of St. John. He says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Friends, Christ's victory is complete. We should no longer live as if it's not. It is for freedom that you have been set free, as Paul tells the Galatians. As we continue in Lent, we will continue to become more aware of our mortality, our guilt, our sin, the ways in which we have been wronged by others. And yet more than that, I hope that we will see the shining glory of Christ that illuminated even the darkest corners of the grave. Hear the words written to the Hebrews concerning our great high priest. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, the father left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, Christ, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Whether your temptation is from fear and anger directed at you by others who have abused their place in your life. 
to disbelieve that God truly loves you. Or if your temptation is to consider the wealth of the world somehow greater than the wealth that Christ offers, I invite you now in these moments of silence, ask, ask your great high priest to intercede for you, to strengthen feeble hands and weak knees and allow you to follow him to the end. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.